Good morning. Uh, my name is Hosea, and my profession is prophet of the Lord Yahweh. And I'm so glad to be with you here this morning. I did get a few reactions in the first service like I'm getting in here about the hair. Look, at my age, if you still have it, flaunt it. Uh, it is great to be with you this morning. Um, my, uh, my prophetic ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel from 750 to 725 B.C. And uh, the reason the pastor brought me this morning is just to tell you my story. So here's essentially my testimony. It happened one afternoon as I was heading home after one of my many prophetic crusades when I was apprehended by this strange and invisible presence. It was so mysterious that it was at once both terrifying and fascinating. Although this experience was rare to me, I had experienced this before, and so I knew in this moment I was standing in the presence of the Eternal. His voice came to me as if uh, riding the crest of a wave, and he said to me, Hosea, I need to speak to you about the infidelity of my people. You, of course, remember my covenant agreement that Israel would be my people and I would be her God. Unfortunately, she has fractured the friendship. She's ruptured the relationship. She has allowed foreign gods to encroach on territory that belonged to me and to me alone. Her goodness, therefore, because of her idolatry and her apostasy has become basically like the morning dew. It has completely faded away. As God was speaking to me that day at the foot of Mount Tabor, I didn't say much. When God is speaking, what do you say? However, uh, God did, as he spoke, take me to a place. I didn't know if it was in the body or it was out of the body, but he took me on basically an historic voyage where he showed me how time after time after time Israel had flagrantly pursued other gods. His voice was the voice of a man who had experienced excruciating pain, pain that was known only to people who have had their steadfast love soundly rejected. I just knew from the tone and the tenor of his voice that God was going to tell me, Hosea, I will soon destroy Judah, so much so that even the memory of her will be forever forgotten in the annals of human history. Instead, much to my surprise, God essentially said to me, Hosea, I will still rescue Judah, but not by battle, nor by sword, nor by bow, nor by horsemen, but I will rescue Judah by the overwhelming power of my steadfast love. And I told the Lord, Lord, that's so good to hear, and I'm glad to hear this, and I'm pretty sure that the people of Judah will be excited to hear the same. However, what does this have to do with me? And God said, I'm glad you asked. Hosea, I want you to get married. 
I want you to be my representative. I want you to be my emissary. I want you to be my go-between. More than all of that, I want you to be a living allegory. But before you can go into the world and represent me, first, we need to get a few things straight. I listened in on your last crusade, and you were knowledgeable. You were eloquent in the Scripture. You do go on a bit much, but you're a preacher, and people ought to expect that from preachers. And I'm not the divine Karen of the cosmos, but what most concerns me is that you are missing some incredibly important things. For starters, Isaiah, you do not yet grasp the concept of my cosmic design on salvation. You do not understand the height, nor the depth, nor the length, nor the breadth of my love. You don't understand my relentless pursuit of all humankind. You're too parochial. You're too hemmed in by your culture and customs and habits. And actually, you've got too low of an opinion of me. And so before you can go out into the world and represent me, we've got to get a few things straight. I need to help you to get a few things straight. Before you can go into the world and represent me, I need to put you first through the crucible of domestic difficulty. And I thought to myself, well, that, that's not so bad. Marriage, that's not so bad, especially when you have the omnicompetent, almighty God personally selecting the bride for you. So I said to God, God, it's kind of interesting that you would bring this up because just the other day I said to myself, prophet, it's about time you take on a wife. And it's also interesting, God, that you bring this up because there's this one young lady in particular I've had my eye on and she's pretty, but you know, that doesn't matter. She'll make a good prophet's wife. She comes from a great prophet's family. I haven't yet broached the subject with the man, but she would make an excellent wife and she comes to all my crusades. So I know that she knows good preaching when she hears it. And she helps me pass out Ten Commandments tracts at all of the synagogue schools. And God said, I know the one of whom you speak. And you're right, Hosea, she'll make an excellent wife. But that's not the one I have in mind for you. Uh, The one I have in mind for you is not really from a prophet's family. In fact, she's not even from an Orthodox Jewish family. In fact, Hosea, you may need to sit down for this because you're probably not going to like this. But she's a pagan prostitute, and I want you to marry her. Now, I don't have to tell you how I felt, do I? I mean, you can imagine the conflicting impulses that were warring beneath my crawling skin, right? I thought, the Lord has asked a lot of me, and I've tried to be obedient as best as I possibly could be, but now I think the Lord is asking for too much. And I considered it, and I didn't really think, but it just sort of came out, no, I will not marry her. I will not put Israel to shame. I will not embarrass my religion. I will not do this unthinkable thing and be an embarrassment to the prophetic community. I, I, I am not going to marry her. I'd rather die. Now I knew in that moment that it's not a good thing to, to talk to God like that. And so I just stood there with my eyes closed and I just knew the death angel was going to run me over and tear me limb from limb. And, 
And after a while, it didn't happen, and so I just sort of peeked and began looking around because I thought maybe I could see death riding in on the pale horse, but I didn't see death, and I didn't see God, and I thought it's time to slip away from this mountain. And as soon as I began to slip away, I heard God say, Her name is Gomer. Gomer? Who wants to marry a girl named Gomer? Can't you give her another name? And God said, No, her name is Gomer, and I want you to marry her. Now, by this point, I had softened a little bit, and I said, God, maybe I will, but can't you just give me some reasons? What am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to tell the prophetic community? What what am I going to tell all of Israel? Because I'm sure all of them are going to say, yeah, right, God told you to marry her. And God, didn't you say that everything we do is supposed to glorify God? Well, what glory are you going to get when a prophet marries a prostitute? What glory could you get when piety pairs with impiety? What what glory could you get when the sacred sleeps with the secular? What glory could you get when the divine dances with the devilish? What glory could you get when the celestial couples with the terrestrial? And then I thought to myself, you know, Lord, I, I I think you're right. I do go on a bit much. And then God did teach me a lesson in that moment. He said, okay, Hosea, look, when I called you to be my prophet, I I told you in this partnership that I would be the senior partner. And what that means is I'm going to make decisions without consulting you. I'm going to make decisions on occasion without any input from you whatsoever. And I don't always give people the pre-flight itinerary and tell them how we're getting there and where we're going. Sometimes I just say, follow me, and you follow me, and for you it's just a matter of faith, and it's not faith in how practical I'm being or how pragmatic I am or how much this makes sense to you or how reasonable I appear to you in this particular moment. Sometimes it just becomes a matter of faith for you where you just have to trust my heart when you cannot trace my hand. And I will tell you this, I will never, ever, ever tell you or any other prophet for that matter something so as to submit my wisdom to your short-sighted human scrutiny. You're either in or you're out. And until you're in, we can't talk anymore. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm in. I'll marry her. Only after I started down the path of obedience was I in a position where God could enlighten my understanding as to why He wanted me to do such a thing. One day on the way to the temple, the the Lord basically communicated to me, Hosea, I want you to understand that the reason I had you marry Gomer is so that in this apparent incompatible relationship between a prophet and a prostitute, you could dramatize to the whole world that God loves the unlovely. I wanted you to marry Gomer so that through you, I could say to the Gomers of the world, you can break my heart, but you cannot ever break my love. I want you to tell people that no man, no woman, no boy, no girl can ever fall so low that they are beyond my reach. Jose, I I intend for you to tell the world that no matter how unlovely people may become, God still absolutely loves them. Now, 
over time, I began to appreciate that God loved Gomer just like that. Now, there were some synagogue types, and you know the types, and they just kind of never let her forget. Oftentimes, they would see her coming to the synagogue with me, and I would hear people snickering and whispering, there goes that old, and you know what they would say about her. But as often as I remembered how hard she tried, it brought a, it still brings a smile to, to my heart. I remember shortly after we were married, she came home and she said, I've changed my hairstyle, and she did, and it looked really nice. And she stopped going to the well at the same time, and she said, I'm a prophet's wife now. I can't run with my old friends. And the way she said it just made me feel good. She bought new dresses with longer hems. She changed her makeup, her lipstick, her rouge, and she would say, I'm a prophet's wife now. She tried so hard. But she was caught between a a terrible pull on the one hand and an awful push on the other. On the one hand, there was this terrible pull back to the gravity of her old ways. She had a, a pull toward her old habits and customs. And I think, looking back on things, that I didn't help her as much as I could have because I told her the day we went to the temple, look... God told me to marry you, but you're going to have to make an absolute commitment to me, and you've got to change your ways. And I demanded that she make a commitment to me, but I never really helped her to make a commitment to the Lord. And when things got tough, her commitment to me wasn't enough. There was also this terrible push, and the terrible push came from these people. And your pastor told me, y'all aren't like this. But it came from these kind of religious types. And they never let her forget where she came from. They never let her forget what she used to do, where she was, who she was. And I just remember one day we came home from synagogue and she said, Hosea, if that's how your religion is, I don't want any part of it. I remember when it started. At first she didn't come home one night. And then the second time she didn't come home after about three days. And then she didn't come home at all. She was gone for over a year. And I was raising the children by myself. And I'd had just about enough. And so I wanted to go back to Mount Tabor and tell God what I thought of the situation. I wanted to tell him I knew this was going to happen. So I made my way to Mount Tabor. But, of course, when I got there, God was already waiting. And I said, God, I, I, I knew. And he said, Hosea, hush. Where's Gomer? I said, what? Where's Gomer? You're God. You know where she is. I don't know where she is. And God said, Jose, I just want to know one thing from you. How do you feel about her? How do I feel about Gomer? Yeah, how do you feel about her? How do I feel about the woman who insulted me and betrayed me, embarrassed me? Yeah. How do you feel about Gomer? You mean the one who made me the laughingstock of the prophetic community? Yes, that one. And I said, Lord, are, are we alone? Is it just the two of us? And God said, yes, it's just the two of us. And I said, good. Because I'm a little embarrassed to say this even to you, but the truth of the matter is, strange as this sounds, I, I still love her. And God said, good. And now 
you're ready to represent me. So Hosea, you you go down from this mountain and I want you to go to Israel and I want you to tell them that God said, if my people who are called by my name will, will humble themselves and seek my face and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal the land. Hosea, there's one other thing. I, I just want to get this straight too. I told you to marry Gomer, not only so that you would dramatize that the Lord your God loves the unlovely. I told you to marry Gomer because I wanted to help you to forgive others the same way that you've been forgiven. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, well, Hosea, you've, you're already a part of the family. You're already a member of the forgiven community. I just wanted to help you to forgive the way you've been forgiven. Now, that was a little bit hard for me to understand because I could easily see why a prostitute needed a prophet. I could easily see why unrighteousness needed righteousness. But I had a hard time seeing exactly why piety needed, of all things, promiscuity. And so I said, God, you've you got to explain this to me. What, what do you mean by all this? And the Lord said, listen, Hosea, I, I, want, I, I told you to marry Gomer because I wanted you to learn to forgive the way you've been forgiven. Hosea, you have a form of godliness. You've got a form of righteousness. But really, when you get right down to it, it's self-righteousness. And you don't even know what's inside of you until you come up against things or people who are unlike you. Now, I was raised in a a culture, and that was a part of the the people I, I, I knew, that we just believed that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so I had a love-hate relationship with Gomer, and I didn't necessarily feel conflicted about it. And so I told God, I love her, but I hate her. I care for her, but I resent her, and I want to get her back for what it is that she's been doing to me. And God said, I know that, but I want you to forgive her. Hosea, you're a prophet. You ought to know by now that the law without love is legalism, but love without the law is liberalism, and we need to preserve both the law, both truth, and love, and you do that in forgiveness. I want you to forgive her. That was a hard thing for me to hear. And it's a hard lesson for a lot of people to learn. And maybe, just maybe, some of you are here and you would think, well, I love God. And you say that and you mean that. But you say you love the God whom you don't see, but when it comes to your brother, you give him the cold shoulder, or you've got a sister, you don't even talk to her. You say, I love God, but if you say you love the God you don't see, it's sort of weird that you encounter people every week or sometimes every day and you despise them. God says that's a lie. You, you, you may love God, but not like you think you do. God wants you to love everyone and he wants you and me to forgive everyone, especially those who have thoroughly wronged you. It's a hard lesson. Some people go their whole lives and they never learn it. Well, let me tell you the rest of my story. I was out in the field pulling corn and I heard this man shouting out, Hosea, Hosea. I I elbowed my way through the stocks and I I saw this man. I knew he was a man of Israel. And, And he said, Hosea, I don't know what you need to do, but I thought you ought to know your wife is is on the auction block and she's being sold as a slave. I don't know what you need to do. I just thought you ought to know. And I knew what I needed to do. I needed to pray. 
I went into my tent, dropped down on my knees, prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do? And God said, Jose, I thought you said you love her. I said, I do. And God said, then you know what to do. It doesn't matter how dirty she is. It doesn't matter where she's been. It doesn't matter how unfaithful she's been. It doesn't matter where she's been. It doesn't matter how broken she is. It doesn't matter how enslaved she is in this moment. When you love someone, you sacrifice for them. If you love her, you're going to go and you're going to pay whatever price needs paying and you're going to bring her back. So I got up off, off my knees, put on my prophetic regalia, started walking into town and it became apparent to me very, very quickly that the same man who told me where my wife was had actually told everyone else in the community first. How do I know this? Because as I was walking in, I saw people looking at me and whispering and snickering, and they were saying things like, there goes Hosea to wag his finger in her face. There goes Hosea to give her a piece of his mind, but they didn't know the intent of my heart. Nobody knows what's in another person's heart. When I got there, a crowd had gathered for the show, and I heard the auctioneer say, here's a woman, her name is Gomer, profession, prostitution. Will anyone pay the price? And I can't explain to you what an indignity it is to watch other people bidding on your wife. The bidding started, someone said five shekels, another said six. I entered and said seven. Another said eight, another said nine. I said ten. Another said eleven, another said twelve. I said thirteen. Then another man said, 14 shekels, and he said it just like that because he wanted to communicate, I know I'm paying twice as much as she's worth. And I was getting a little nervous coming to the end of my resources, but I shouted out, 15 shekels and five bushels of barley. And a, a, a silence fell over the crowd, a silence almost like, you would expect when someone witnesses a death. And the auctioneer said, sold. Bought and paid for by Hosea, the highest bidder. I helped my wife get down from the auction block, and as was the custom, she was naked and without any dignity. And I took off my robe and I covered her up. And as we headed home, she fell down on the ground. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, Jose, I'm so glad you came. I'm so sorry. I've done so much wrong. Just take me. I know you're probably never going to want me as your wife. Just take me back as your slave. And I said to her, get up, my beloved. I don't need a, a slave. And I want a wife. And... My children, our children, don't need a slave. They need their mother. What I want is for you to love me and for you to let me love you. Now, that's my story, and a lot of people think it's rather remarkable. But my story is connected to a, a, a larger story, a story that goes way, way, way back to the very beginning when God said, let us make humankind in our image, and humanity sinned. 
Then justice stepped into the equation, and justice said, let the wages of sin be death. Then Jesus said, yes, let the wages of sin be death, but let the gift of God be eternal life, and let me be that gift. Justice, you you go on down to this skull-shaped auction block called Calvary, and you wait for me there. I'll bring you payment soon enough. Justice may have thought that Jesus wasn't coming, but one day he showed up with a cross on his shoulders, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they put him on that cross and dropped him low and hung him high, and and Jesus gave his hands and his feet to the nails, and he gave his side to the spear, and he gave his brow to the thorns, and he gave his back to the splinters, and he gave his mother to John, and gave his spirit to the Father, and he said, it is finished. He breathed his last, and he died. Then they took him down from the cross, and they put him in a tomb, but he didn't stay in the tomb, because on the third day he rose again, and the good news is you too can rise up, and be covered by the same righteousness of Jesus. You can be covered by the righteous robe of Jesus Christ who gave everything for you that you would be set free. So I think my story is a good story, but but when you tell it, please drive home the point that God loves the unlovely, but also see that my story is connected to a bigger story. Maybe it was even there to help prepare people to hear their ultimate story. And the ultimate story is that Jesus Christ came for you. And he paid everything for you and he suffered and died and he rose again for you so as to, to cover an unlovely people and to make them beautiful and pure and free. Let's bow forward to prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the testimony of scripture, the testimony of Hosea, and we can't help but think of several things. Uh, one is getting your word out is so important that you will sacrifice your son and Hosea in incredible ways because the story does need to be told. People need to get it, that no matter how unlovely people may be, God still loves them. And those of us who are in the faith need to always constantly be reminded that we need to forgive others the same way we have been forgiven. It's an important story, and I pray, Lord, we would take it to heart and that it would change our own lives. But Father, we also know that there are many who have yet to receive your gracious love. And I pray that if there are any here who have yet to receive the gift of eternal life, that you'd enable them just to simply pray to you right where they are. God, I know... I know I've sinned. It's not just that I did it wrong. It's that I did wrong and I want to be wrong. And, and, and sometimes I did the right things, but I was, frankly, doing it for the wrong reasons. And I have pursued other gods. And maybe it was just success or money or fame or fortune or friends or whatever the case was. I, I took good things and made them ultimate things. And I put them ahead of you. And, and, and that's what displeases you. It's not just the actions. It's the attitude of the heart. And I just know I've fallen short like Israel of days of old and sometimes even like the church, I've put others ahead of you. You haven't been, well, I've put other gods before you. I've fallen short so many ways. I've done so much wrong. But God, I also know your heart for me. And it's not just that you love me in a general way. You love me so much that you actually got up, came and paid everything you could pay so as to bring me back. That is what love does, and I know that's the story of Scripture. So, so God, I just want to say right now, I know I've sinned, I've fallen short, 
that I need forgiveness, I need a Savior, and that you sent Jesus. And so, Lord, what Jesus did on the cross, I pray that you would apply that to my life. I, I confess that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin and selfishness, and I just trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So, God, just thanks for saving me. Thank you for, for coming to bring me back. And, and, and God, I just I want to spend the rest of my days just living out the fact that you brought me back by your good grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you uh, prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you in that relationship. Talk to me after the service. Send me an email. Talk to me now. I'll be at the back just to pray with you about whatever the Lord's laid on your heart. But you remain open to God and to his spirit as we uh, continue and then close in worship. Let's go ahead and stand.